My name is Dave, I'm the lead pastor here at Connect, and if you're here for the very first time this morning, I want to welcome you. It's uh, lovely to have you here, especially during this Christmas season, so thanks so much for coming. We are actually in a series here leading up to Christmas called Awaken the Wonder, because we want to awaken the wonder in every one of you of Christmas, and awaken the wonder of, of the God who created every one of us, created this world, and, and who is behind the story of Christmas. And it should be a wonderful time, it should be an exciting time. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that uh, we talked about just the wonder and the magnificence of this creative God who we serve. And he's just an incredible God. And uh, I gave him some homework. I said, go away this week and, and maybe spend some time looking up at a starry night or watch the sunrise or the sunset or whatever it is. Or just to contemplate just how incredible God is. And uh, I got some emails and some Facebook messages and some comments this week from some of you who did just that, and that's fantastic. But I thought, wasn't God really kind to us? Because on, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, he gave us this beautiful, I woke up Tuesday morning, I think, to this snow-covered landscape. It was beautiful. Someone sent me a picture through Instagram. She was sat and she could see the, the brook running behind the house. There was snow on the trees, snow on the, there was just enough snow to look beautiful but not enough to have to shovel. It was fantastic. I would take that snow all year long. I, I can handle that. That's the good snow. That's like, God, thank you for that snow. That was awesome. So maybe this week you got to kind of awaken to the wonder of God's beauty as you looked at the snow-covered neighborhoods that you live in. But this week we're going to be looking at um, the idea of awakening the wonder of joy. Okay, joy. We hear this word a lot, don't we, throughout the Christmas season. In fact, just down the street from where I live, there are two different houses that have these big wooden letters outside their house that say joy. They've got lights shining up on them. It's a very Christmassy word, isn't it? And it's because we see it so much in the Christmas story. The angels' announcement to the shepherd went as follows in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. And that news that the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Throughout the accounts of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, and John, several times around that Christmas time, that Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, we hear again and again the joy of the birth of Jesus. <laughs> There's a carol that you'll hear sung many times in stores while you're shopping, on the radio, in your car, in the mall, and you may even sing it here, Joy to the World. It's a great Christmas song, and I'm sure at some point, if you don't sing it, you'll at least hear it this Christmas time. And as we approach Christmas, I want all of us to awaken to the wonder of joy, the wonder of experiencing joy in all of our lives, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the whole year. So let me start this morning by defining what I mean by joy, okay? So probably the easiest way is to work backwards a little bit and tell you what I don't mean by joy, okay? Because I think joy is different than happiness, okay? When I think of joy, I think that's a little different than just, just happiness. Happiness tends to come from external circumstances. Happiness is an outward expression of elation, and, and happiness very often can be temporary based upon our circumstances. But isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing when it comes to happiness how you can be happy one moment and not happy the next? That's the problem with happiness, isn't it? It can come very quickly, but just as quickly it can disappear. It's almost like your feet disappear from underneath you. 
In fact, let me give you an example of just that. Um, we have our Christmas decorations up in the Jane household, and uh, it was a wonderful time a couple of weeks ago. We were getting all the decorations out of the attic. I have an attic above my garage, which is uh, next to my house. It's a British house that has a garage next to it. It's a little bit like your garage, but um, above the ceiling, okay, so we store my Christmas decorations. I pull down the ladder, I'm up there, I'm bringing all the boxes down now. Um, above our garage, we have um, um, the storage area, and there's plywood over most of the joists. <laughs> yeah, you can already see where I'm going with this story. So, and, and again, to illustrate how sometimes happiness can disappear like your feet just disappearing beneath you. Because that's exactly what happened to me as I went to grab one of my um, Christmas boxes. I stepped on what I thought was plywood, but turned out to be the drywall on the ceiling of our garage, straight through it. And unfortunately, I caught myself. I think I broke several roofs of the process that I've been soldering on ever since. But, uh, but instantly, any happiness that I may have had um, in getting the caps ready, the decorations just disappeared in fear, anger, and pain. And the reality is, that's kind of how happiness is. It can come very quickly, but it can go very quickly. You know, I think when the Bible talks about joy, even God himself recognizes the difference between happiness and joy. Because you see, I found out this week that depending on the translation of the Bible that you, you use, the words happy and happiness, they appear about 30 times throughout the scriptures. And while the words joy and rejoice, which is where we find the words joy, the words joy and rejoice, they appear over 300 times. So when God is talking about joy, joy far outweighs the times he talks about happiness. You see, here is what I think joy is. Joy isn't an external experience, but it's more of an internal experience. As opposed to the outward expression of elation we see with happiness, it's more of an inward peace and contentment. And instead of being temporary based on outward circumstances, it's more lasting based on inward circumstances. In fact, I would say to you here this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, joy can be defined as that inner attitude of rejoicing in one's salvation regardless of outward circumstances. Joy is a gift that God wants to give to every follower of Jesus. In fact, Paul talks about it as a gift in Galatians chapter 5. He gives us a list of gifts that the, the Holy Spirit has produced in our lives. He calls them fruit. It says that in Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these wonderful um, emotions and, and, and these things that God wants to give us. And right there in the middle is joy. Joy is what God wants to give every one of us. It's a wonderful thing to have. Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, he talks in Proverbs about joy. He says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. He's saying joy can, it can be like a medicine. It can heal issues. It can, can make you feel better. So if this is the case, if, if God's got this joy, he wants to pour into our lives. Why is it that so many of us don't seem to experience the wonder of joy in our lives? Especially those of us this morning who would call ourselves followers of Jesus. Why is it that so many who would profess to be Christians don't um, exhibit that joy? I get sad sometimes when I look just on the pages of Facebook, uh, 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 posts and listings of people who, who I know are Christians and there just doesn't seem to be joy in their lives. 
I believe that God's given us this wonderful joy that we can experience. But I think the problem is that sometimes there are some enemies that come in and steal our joy. Enemies that come in and work against us and try and rob us of the joy that God wants to bless us with. I don't want to look at a couple of those enemies this morning. We're going to look together at a couple of those enemies. Maybe you'll relate to one of these enemies. Maybe identifying this enemy of joy will help you this morning to, to destroy it and move forward and, and get the joy that God has promised. The first enemy I feel um, of joy in our lives is our proximity to God. It's your proximity to God. Here's, here's what I mean by that. We've got a, a relative and... Um, he and his wife and family, they live just outside of Washington, kind of out towards Eureka, but in the country. They've got a lovely house and a big piece of land there. And throughout the year, he'll do work on his house and, and any um, debris, any kind of wood, any leftover stuff just ends up in this, this field that he owns behind his house. And this pile gets bigger and bigger and, and we all know him, so when we're doing work on our house, we'll call him and say, hey, can I have got a bunch of wood? Can I come and dump it? And he says, yeah, that's fine. So friends, family. So as the year goes on, this pile gets bigger and bigger. And then normally around the fall time, he'll call out some friends and family and say, hey, I'm going to set fire to the pile. It's time. We're having a bonfire. We're like, yeah. So uh, I remember one year going out to this family member's house, and we were actually coming from Morton. So we were coming as a family. We were driving back on that road that brings you from Morton up to Washington Square. And we're like halfway up that road. We're, we're probably still miles away from Washington. And I look out across the fields, and I'm like, either that's an entire subdivision on fire, Oh, that's our relative's bonfire. <laughs> and we get closer and closer, and it gets bigger and bigger, and it is. I mean, he's collected a lot of stuff. So every year, he'll have this fire, and friends come, and family come, and the fire chief normally comes, because he gets several phone calls that there's a, a barn on fire, and he has to say, no, no, we're, we're okay. But you know, when we get to the house, we walk out behind the house, and, and instantly, as you come out behind the house, you feel the heat of the fire. And you know, the closer you get, the hotter it gets. And there's like a point where it's like, I cannot get any closer than this. There's like this inferno. And that's how I feel it is with our relationship with God. That there is a proximity to God that we can draw closer to God. And, and this morning you may find yourself in, in one of several different places. Maybe you're here and you're still kind of checking things out. You're not even sure if you believe in God yet. As far as the fire goes, you, you may feel very far away. Others, maybe you've made a decision. You said, I want to follow Jesus. But you're still quite new, and this is still, you know, it's, it's still a, a, just a gradual change in your life. Others have been following Jesus for a long time. But what I've discovered is that as we draw closer to God, like that fire, we get to experience more of this joy. You know, Paul calls the joy fruit, doesn't he? And that list of joy and peace and patience and kindness, I believe all of those, the reason he calls them fruit is because fruit grows. Fruit starts off small, doesn't it? It starts as a seed, and then through different things, fruit will grow. And I think it, patience is a great example. I think sometimes our patience grows when we find ourselves in situations that demand patience. And in the same way, I feel like joy grows when we're in situations where we need to experience more of God's joy, that inner peace, that contentment in our lives. And what I've experienced in my life is in the same way that as I draw closer to God, I see that joy grow. Sometimes as I move away, that I see the joy diminish. That there may be times here this morning where there are decisions you've made. It could be through choices you're making that you know go against the way um, Jesus taught us to live our lives. It could be through 
um, looking at fear instead of faith. It could be fixing our eyes on the, the troubles of this world instead of fixing our eyes upon God. There are different things that kind of turn our attention away from God, move us away from that proximity of God. And maybe you're here this morning thinking, man, I wish there was more of this joy that Dave was talking about. But I would ask you to, to look at your lives and say, you know, as I, I, am I really in the place where I could be with God? Is there room for me to move forward, to grow in my relationship with him? Because the closer I find myself to God, the more I'm going to see that, that joy, that fruit of the Spirit grow. So I think the first enemy that battles against joy in our lives is just that, it's our proximity to God. But you know, I think there's another enemy, maybe more even of a common enemy to us here this morning that battles against joy. It's not just the proximity to God, I think it's the problems in life. I think if we were honest here this morning, we would say, you know, I want this joy, but, but when I look at the, the situations that we're battling here, the, the problems that we're facing, those frustrations, those trials, those setbacks, they tend to rob us of our joy. I mean, think about it. They can do it at Christmas, can't they? Like I said, there are people down my street, big old letters in front of their house. Joy. That's what Christmas is. It's a time of joy. But let's be honest. Some of us are driving past those big old letters on the way back from the mall where there wasn't much joy. It was actually quite a lot of pushing and shoving and shouting and I can't find what I want. Now, honestly, I'm speaking just to the husbands here this morning, all you wives, you've been done with your Christmas shopping since June. Um, but we, you know, we, we, we still got a couple of weeks, just that day before Christmas Eve. That's normally when we start thinking about the one gift that we have to buy, and that's for our wife, because she's bought every other gift for every other member of the family, your family, your parents, your grandparents. I mean, she's got it all covered. But you still want to get one more gift. And if you're like me, out there on Christmas Eve, and they're out of socks in every store in the shop. <laughs> I kid you, I'm kidding. I mean, jewelry shops, obviously, all around the way. Every jewelry shop. No, bigger, I want bigger. But um, Christmas, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's full of joy. What about those family gatherings? When you kind of get together with all those people that you don't really get to see very often during the year, and then that one time of the year, you all come together. Grandma, grandpa, a crazy cousin, an uncle with his weird views, you know, and you're all sitting together around dinner, just hoping and praying that no one takes the conversation into this area. You've all got hello by Adele ready, just to press play, because you just diffuse the situation. Sometimes Christmas doesn't bring joy. Maybe it's setting up the decorations. You know, I told you my story earlier about falling through the ceiling. I've got to be honest. I've been married now to Casey for 18 years. Very much in love. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. And if you're here for the very first time this morning, I want to welcome you. It's uh, lovely to have you here, especially during this Christmas season. So thanks so much for coming. We are actually in a series here leading up to Christmas called Awaken the Wonder. Because we want to awaken the wonder in every one of you of Christmas. And awaken the wonder of, of the God who created every one of us, created this world, and, and who is behind the story of Christmas. And it should be a wonderful time. It should be an exciting time. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that uh, we talked about just the wonder and the magnificence of this creative God who we serve. And he's just an incredible God. And uh, I gave some homework. 
I said, go away this week and, and maybe spend some time looking up at a starry night or watch the sunrise or the sunset or whatever it is, or just to contemplate just how incredible God is. And uh, I got some emails and some Facebook messages and some comments this week from some of you who did just that, and that's fantastic. But I thought, wasn't God really kind to us? Because on, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, he gave us this beautiful, I woke up Tuesday morning, I think, to this snow-covered landscape. It was beautiful. Someone sent me a picture through Instagram. She was sat and she could see the, the brook running behind the house. There was snow on the trees, snow on the... There was just enough snow to look beautiful, but not enough to have to shovel. It was fantastic. I would take that snow all year long. I can, I can handle that. That's the good snow. That's like, God, thank you for that snow. That was awesome. So maybe this week you got to kind of awaken to the wonder of God's beauty as you looked at the snow-covered neighborhoods that you live in. But this week we're going to be looking at um, the idea of awakening the wonder of joy. Okay, joy. We hear this word a lot, don't we, throughout the Christmas season. In fact, just down the street from where I live, there are two different houses that have these big wooden letters outside their house that say joy. They've got lights shining up on them. It's a very Christmassy word, isn't it? And it's because we see it so much in the Christmas story. The angel's announcement to the shepherd went as follows in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. And that news, that the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Throughout the accounts of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, several times around that Christmas time, that Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, we hear again and again the joy of the birth of Jesus. There's a carol that you'll hear sung many times in stores while you're shopping, on the radio, in your car, in the mall, and you may even sing it here, Joy to the World. It's a great Christmas song, and I'm sure at some point, if you don't sing it, you'll at least hear it this Christmas time. And as we approach Christmas, I want all of us to awaken to the wonder of joy. The wonder of experiencing joy in all of our lives. Not just at Christmas time, but throughout the whole year. So let me start this morning by defining what I mean by joy. Okay? So probably the easiest way is to work backwards a little bit and tell you what I don't mean by joy. Okay? Because I think joy is different than happiness. Okay, when I think of joy, I think that's a little different than just, just happiness. Happiness tends to come from external circumstances. Happiness is an outward expression of elation, and, and happiness very often can be temporary based upon our circumstances. But isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing when it comes to happiness how you can be happy one moment and not happy the next? That's the problem with happiness, isn't it? It can come very quickly, but just as quickly, it can disappear. It's almost like your feet disappear from underneath you. In fact, let me give you an example of just that. Um, we have our Christmas decorations up in the Jane household, and uh, it was a wonderful time a couple of weeks ago. We were getting all the decorations out of the attic. I have an attic above my garage, which is uh, next to my house. It's a British house that has a garage next to it. It's a little bit like your garage, but... Um, Above the ceiling, okay, so we store my Christmas decorations. I pull down the ladder, I'm up there, I'm bringing all the boxes down now. Um, above our garage, we have um, um, the storage area, and there's plywood over most of the joists. 
Yeah, you can already see where I'm going with the story. So, and, and again, to illustrate how sometimes happiness can disappear like your feet just disappearing beneath you. Because that's exactly what happened to me as I went to grab one of my um, Christmas boxes. I stepped on what I thought was plywood, but turned out to be the drywall on the ceiling of our garage, straight through it. And unfortunately, I caught myself. Uh, I think I broke several ribs in the process, but I've been soldering on ever since. But, uh, but instantly, any happiness that I may have had um, in getting the house ready with the decorations just disappeared in fear, anger, and pain. And the reality is, that's kind of how happiness is. It can come very quickly, but it can go very quickly. You know, I think when the Bible talks about joy, even God himself recognizes the difference between happiness and joy. Because you see, I found out this week that depending on the translation of the Bible that you, you use, the words happy and happiness, they appear about 30 times throughout the scriptures. While the words joy and rejoice, which is where we find the words joy, the words joy and rejoice, they appear over 300 times. So when God is talking about joy, joy far outweighs the times he talks about happiness. You see, here is what I think joy is. Joy isn't an external experience, but it's more of an internal experience. As opposed to the outward expression of elation we see with happiness, it's more of an inward peace and contentment. And instead of being temporary based on outward circumstances, it's more lasting based on inward circumstances. In fact, I would say to you here this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, joy can be defined as that inner attitude of rejoicing in one's salvation regardless of outward circumstances. Joy is a gift that God wants to give to every follower of Jesus. In fact, Paul talks about it as a gift in Galatians chapter 5. He gives us a list of gifts that the, the Holy Spirit has produced in our lives. He calls them fruit. It says that in Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these wonderful uh, emotions and, and, and these things that God wants to give us. And right there in the middle is joy. Joy is what God wants to give every one of us. It's a wonderful thing to have. Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, he talks in Proverbs about joy. He says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. He's saying joy can, it can be like a medicine. It can heal issues. It can, can make you feel better. So if this is the case, if, if God's got this joy he wants to pour into our lives, why is it that so many of us don't seem to experience the wonder of joy in our lives? Especially those of us this morning who would call ourselves followers of Jesus. Why is it that so many who would profess to be Christians don't um, exhibit that joy? I get sad sometimes when I look just on the pages of Facebook at uh, 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 posts and listings of people who, who I know are Christians and there just doesn't seem to be joy in their lives. I believe that God's given us this wonderful joy that we can experience. But I think the problem is that sometimes there are some enemies that come in and steal our joy. Enemies that come in and work against us and try and rob us of the joy that God wants to bless us with. I don't want to look at a couple of those enemies this morning. We're going to look together at a couple of those enemies. Maybe you'll relate to one of these enemies. Maybe identifying this enemy of joy will help you this morning to, to destroy it and move forward and, and get the joy that God has promised.
The first enemy I feel um, of joy in our lives is our proximity to God. It's your proximity to God. Here's, here's what I mean by that. <laughs> We've got a, a relative, and um, he and his wife and family, they're just outside of Washington, kind of out towards Eureka, but in the country. They've got a lovely house and a big piece of land there. And throughout the year, he'll do work on his house, and, and any um, debris, any kind of wood, any leftover stuff, just ends up in this, this field that he owns behind his house. And this pile gets bigger and bigger, and, and we all know him, so when we're doing work on our house, we'll call him and say, hey, can I put a bunch of wood? Can I come and dump it? And he says, yeah, that's fine. So friends, family. So as the year goes on, this pile gets bigger and bigger. And then normally around the fall time, he'll call up some friends and family and say, hey, I'm going to set fire to the pile. It's time. We're having a bonfire. And we're like, yeah. So uh, I remember one year going out to this family member's house, and we were actually coming from Morton. So we were coming as a family, we were driving back on that road that brings you from Morton up to Washington Square, and we're like halfway up that road. We're, we're probably still miles away from Washington, and I look out across the fields, and I'm like, either that's an entire subdivision on fire, or that's our relative's bonfire. And we get closer and closer, and it gets bigger and bigger, and it is. I mean, he's collected a lot of stuff. So every year he'll have this fire and friends come and family come and the fire chief normally comes because he gets several phone calls that there's a, a barn on fire and he has to say, no, no, we're, we're okay. But you know, when we get to the house, we walk out behind the house and, and instantly as you come out behind the house, you feel the heat of the fire. And you know, the closer you get, the hotter it gets. And there's like a point where it's like, I cannot get any closer than this. There's like this inferno. And that's how I feel it is with our relationship with God. That there is a proximity to God, that we can draw closer to God. And, and this morning you may find yourself in, in one of several different places. Maybe you're here and you're still kind of checking things out. You're not even sure if you believe in God yet. As far as the fire goes, you, you may feel very far away. Others, maybe you've made a decision. You said, I want to follow Jesus. But you're still quite new and this is still, you know, it's... it's still a, a, just a gradual change in life. Others have been following Jesus for a long time. But what I've discovered is that as we draw closer to God, like that fire, we get to experience more of this joy. You know, Paul calls the joy fruit, doesn't he? And that list of joy and peace and patience and kindness, I believe all of those, the reason he calls them fruit is because fruit grows. Fruit starts off small, doesn't it? It starts as a seed, and then through different things, fruit will grow. And I think patience is a great example. I think sometimes our patience grows when we find ourselves in situations that demand patience. And in the same way, I feel like joy grows when we're in situations where we need to experience more of God's joy, that inner peace, that contentment in our lives. And what I've experienced in my life is in the same way that as I draw closer to God, I see that joy grow. Sometimes as I move away, that I see the joy diminish. That there may be times here this morning where there are decisions you've made. It could be through choices you're making that you know go against the way um, Jesus taught us to live our lives. It could be through um, looking at fear instead of faith. It could be fixing our eyes on the, the troubles of this world instead of fixing our eyes upon God. There are different things that kind of turn our attention away from God. Move us away from that proximity of God. And maybe you're here this morning thinking, man, I wish there was more of this joy that Dave was talking about. But I would ask you to, to look at your lives and say, you know, as I, I, am I really in the place where I could be with God? Is there room for me to move forward, to grow in my relationship with Him? Because the closer I find myself to God, the more I'm going to see that, that joy, that fruit of the Spirit grow.
I think the first enemy that battles against joy in our lives is just that, it's our proximity to God. But you know, I think there's another enemy, maybe more even of a common enemy to us here this morning that battles against joy. It's not just the proximity to God. I think it's the problems in life. I think if we were honest here this morning, we'd say, you know, I want this joy, but, but when I look at the, the situations that we're battling here, the, the problems that we're facing, those frustrations, those trials, those setbacks, they tend to rob us of our joy. I mean, think about it. They can do it at Christmas, can't they? Like I said, there are people down my street, big old letters in front of their house. Joy! That's what Christmas is. It's a time of joy, but let's be honest. Some of us are driving past those big old letters on the way back from the mall, where there wasn't much joy. It was actually quite a lot of pushing and shoving and shouting, and I can't find what I want. Now, honestly, I'm speaking just to the husbands here this morning, all you wives, you've been done with your Christmas shopping since June. Um, but we, you know, we, we, we still got a couple of weeks, just that day before Christmas Eve, that's normally when we start thinking about the one gift that we have to buy, and that's for our wife, because she's bought every other gift, for every other member of the family, your family, your parents, your grandparents, I mean, she's got it all covered, but you still going to get one more gift. And if you're like me, out there on Christmas Eve, and they're out of socks in every store in the shop. <laughs> I kid you, I'm kidding. I mean, jewelry shops, obviously, all around the way. Every jewelry shop. No, bigger, I want bigger. But um, Christmas, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's full of joy. What about those family gatherings? When you kind of get together with all those people you don't really get to see very often during the year and then that one time of the year you all come together. Grandma, grandpa, that crazy cousin, that uncle with his weird views, you know, you're all sitting together around dinner. Just hoping and praying that no one takes the conversation into this area. You've all got hello by Adele ready just to press play because you just diffuse the situation. Sometimes Christmas doesn't bring joy. Maybe it's setting up the decorations. You know, I told you my story earlier about falling through the ceiling. I've got to be honest. I've been married now to Casey for 18 years. Very much in love with this lady. But I don't think the measure of my love for her should be based on how many years we've been married. I think the measure of my love for her should be how many years we've set up Christmas decorations together. 18 years and we are still married. Because Casey's amazing. She has such a love for Christmas. She, she turns our house into this beautiful winter wonderland with lights and decorations all over trees. But I'm the one who has to carry it all. <laughs> Up and down attic stairs and figure out the tangled up lights and try and remember which order the tree goes together in. And it's just, I, there are times where Casey loves Christmas and her grinch of a husband. It gets kind of, there's not a lot of joy in the house on the day that we set up the Christmas decorations. And the reality is, we joke about it, but Christmas can be a stressful time. It can be a time for families who remember relatives that were here last Christmas that aren't here this Christmas. It can be a time that maybe brings back some pain or some loneliness. Maybe situations where, as, as parents, we're not able to provide the Christmas for our family that we like to be able to. And it's tough. And this, this, this sign is everywhere, joy. Christmas is meant to be a time of joy, but for many of us it can be stressful and bring um, even sadness. 
And the reality is it's not just Christmas, is it? It can happen throughout all of our lives. You see, I want to focus on some of those bigger things that come our way throughout the rest of the year. When I talk about the problems of life, I'm talking about those, those big problems that um, even this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're not exempt from them, are we? It could be a loss of a job, a failed marriage, the death of someone close to us, a sickness that uh, either ourselves or a family member is battling. And these are all things that many of us have had to face and maybe are even facing right now this morning. And I'm here talking about joy. And you're sitting here this morning again, seriously? You expect me to find joy when I'm going through this? Well, I think the answer is yes. And this is why I think it's so important to recognize the difference between happiness and joy. Because I know there are some situations that some of you are in right now that there's no happiness whatsoever. But I believe that God has given us this gift of joy that we can still experience. You may be at a point in your life this morning where you've never been further from happiness, but I really believe you can still seek out joy. In fact, I actually believe that joy will help you through the trial. Listen to what Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, he was one of the disciples. He wrote two letters in the New Testament, one Peter and two Peter, and, and listen to what he said when he was talking about trials and the problems of life. He said in 1 Peter verses, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, so be truly glad, there is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Peter's talking about this idea of in the midst of those trials, still finding a way to rejoice, still finding a way to, to praise God, to thank God for who he is and what he's done in your life. And I think that can only come from, from a decision. I think you have to make the choice to rejoice. I don't think it's going to well up in you like an emotion. I think you've got to make that choice to rejoice. I'm reading a book right now that's helping me in this series called Wonderstruck. It's by an author by the name of Margaret Feinberg, and she, she talks throughout this book. Each book's like a little um, devotional, talking about a different aspect of wonder, experiencing the wonder of God. And there's a whole chapter where she talks about joy, and she tells the story of a couple um, that she was aware of, and she sits down with a wife one day to, to hear this lady, her, her, her name's Karen, to hear her story. Well, Karen and David, they were um, married when they were just out of college. Karen talks about the fact that the very first date she went on was a blind date with David, and she thought it was terrible. Throughout the whole evening, he, he literally only said eight things. She ended the night thinking, this was awful, this is not going to go anywhere else. But he called her, and the relationship grew and blossomed. She talks about the fact that they were one day, they actually went on a vacation, they were scuba diving, and he was down at the bottom of the ocean, and she went down to see what he was doing, and he, he'd spread some, some rocks out at the bottom of the ocean and said, marry me. That's how he proposed for her. And three months later, they were married. 
She was a nurse, and he actually was a, uh, in construction, but he worked on hospitals a lot, so their, their lives were just kind of meant to be together. And they just celebrated their 25th anniversary. The youngest daughter was 16, their oldest son was in college. And he actually had a passion outside of work to fly. He taught himself to fly, he'd actually got an aeroplane, and, and he loved flying. So this one year, the pair of them decided to fly from, from Colorado to Texas, where his family was. They flew in this little plane, and they were flying to visit his family in Texas. And um, she tells the story how they were up in the clouds, and, and this thing happened where the clouds kind of parted as the plane was going through, and neither of them had ever seen anything like it. He was like, isn't this amazing? What a wonderful sight. A few minutes later, they came up to the approach to the airport, and she said, as they were coming into land, Suddenly they could tell something had gone wrong with the plane, it just dropped. She said the last thing she remembers was the, the tips of the trees being hit by the wings and then she passed out. When she came to, she was in the wreckage of the plane. Her husband was laid across her lap. She believes to maybe try and spare her from as much of the impact as possible, a big gash in his head. The paramedics came and they, they were able to get him out of the plane. But then they had to lift the engine block off her legs. She says they carried her out. She was able to reach down and, and pull up basically what was left of her foot, had detached from her leg, give it to the, the paramedics. They took her to the hospital. She asked the ambulance, how's David? And they couldn't tell her. And they got to the hospital and they were going to take her into operate. They said, how's David? They still couldn't tell her. And then finally, right there, about to x-ray her to perform surgery on her leg. They said, Karen, we're so sorry David passed away. He didn't survive the crash. She had the pain of her leg. She had the pain of this discovery that her husband of 25 years, the father of the children, had died in this plane crash. And then she went in for the surgery. They removed uh, what was left at the bottom of her leg. They said, we can try and reattach this foot, but you're looking at probably years of surgery, years of physical therapy, or we can just remove the foot now. She said, do that. She just wants to be out of the hospital. But it turned out that there were complications and she had to go back a couple of weeks later, the leg wasn't healing right and they had to cut another six inches off the bottom of her leg. Along with that, there was many other injuries that she had to work through and, and this lady's telling this story in the book about the time they met for a cup of coffee. She said, this lady, Karen, came kind of walking towards me with a limp and she was on a prosthetic leg, talking about how still there were many surgeries ahead. But she was telling the story about talking with this Karen. And Karen was telling her that since the surgery, as a follower of Jesus, she'd seen so many examples of this. Well, I think the answer is yes. And this is why I think it's so important to recognize the difference between happiness and joy. Because I know there are some situations that some of you are in right now that there's no happiness whatsoever. I believe that God has given us this gift of joy that we can still experience. You may be at a point in your life this morning where you've never been further from happiness, but I really believe you can still seek out joy. In fact, I actually believe that joy will help you through the trial. Listen to what Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, he was one of the disciples. He wrote two letters in the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And, and listen to what he said when he was talking about trials and the problems of life. He said in 1 Peter verses, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. 
Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Peter's talking about this idea of in the midst of those trials, still finding a way to rejoice, still finding a way to, to praise God, and to thank God for who he is, and what he's done in your life. And I think that can only come from, from a decision. I think you have to make the choice to rejoice. I don't think it's going to well up in you like an emotion. I think you've got to make that choice to rejoice. I'm reading a book right now that's helping me in this series it's called Wonderstruck. It's by an author by the name of Margaret Feinberg. And she, she talks throughout this book. Each book's like a little um, devotional talking about a different aspect of wonder, experiencing the wonder of God. And there's a whole chapter where she talks about joy. And she tells the story of a couple um, that she was aware of. And she sits down with a wife one day to, to hear this lady, her, her, her name's Karen, to hear her story. Well, Karen and David, they were um, married when they were just out of college. Karen talks about the fact that the very first date she went on was a blind date with David, and she thought it was terrible. Throughout the whole evening, he, he literally only said eight things. She ended the night thinking, this was awful, this is not going to go anywhere else, but he called her, and the relationship grew and blossomed. She talks about the fact that they were one day, they actually went on a vacation, they were scuba diving, and he was down at the bottom of the ocean, and she went down to see what he was doing, and he, he'd spread some, some rocks out at the bottom of the ocean that said, marry me. That's how he proposed for her. Three months later, they were married. She was a nurse, and he actually was a, uh, in construction, but he worked on hospitals a lot, so their, their lives were just kind of meant to be together. And they just celebrated their 25th anniversary. The youngest daughter was 16. Their oldest son was in college. And he actually had a passion outside of work to fly. He taught himself to fly. He'd actually got an airplane, and, and he loved flying. So this one year, the pair of them decided to fly from, from Colorado to Texas, where his family was. They flew in this little plane, and they were flying to visit his family in Texas. And um, she tells the story how they were up in the clouds, and, and this thing happened where the clouds kind of parted as the plane was going through, and neither of them had ever seen anything like it. He was like, isn't this amazing? What a wonderful sight. A few minutes later, they came up to the approach to the airport, and she said, as they were coming into land, Suddenly they could tell something had gone wrong with the plane, it just dropped. She said the last thing she remembers was the, the tips of the trees being hit by the wings and then she passed out. When she came to, she was in the wreckage of the plane. Her husband was laid across her lap. She believes to maybe try and spare her from as much of the impact as possible, a big gash in his head. The paramedics came and they, they were able to get him out of the plane. But then they had to lift the engine block off her legs. She says they carried her out. She was able to reach down and, and pull up basically what was left of her foot, had detached from her leg, give it to the, the paramedics. They took her to the hospital. She asked the ambulance, how's David? And they couldn't tell her. And they got to the hospital and they were going to take her into operating. They said, how's David? They still couldn't tell her. And then finally, right there, about to x-ray her to perform surgery on her leg. 
They said, Karen, we're so sorry David passed away. He didn't survive the crash. She had the pain of her leg. She had the pain of this discovery that her husband of 25 years, the father of the children, had died in this plane crash. And then she went in for the surgery. They removed uh, what was left at the bottom of her leg. They said, we can try and reattach this foot, but you're looking at probably years of surgery, years of physical therapy, or we can just remove the foot now. She said, do that. She just wants to be out of the hospital. But it turned out that there were complications, and she had to go back a couple of weeks later. The leg wasn't healing right, and they had to cut another six inches off the bottom of her leg. Along with that, there was many other injuries that she had to work through. And, and this lady's telling this story in the book about the time they met for a cup of coffee. She said, this lady, Karen, came kind of walking towards me with a limp, and she was on a prosthetic leg, talking about how still there were many surgeries ahead. But she was telling the story about talking with this Karen. And Karen was telling her that since the surgery, as a follower of Jesus, she'd seen so many examples of God at work in her life. She said, I've had people praying for me. We've had people in that church send care packages, people who have sent gifts to us. She said, these medical bills have piled up so high, but there's never seems to be a moment where someone doesn't come up and say, hey, some friends of ours took up a collection. Our church heard about your situation. We want to help you. She goes, sometimes even to the penny, there'll be a bill comes in and someone will come and say, we just felt led that we had to help you in this way. She said, throughout it all, I've seen evidence of God at work helping me through the, the toughest time in my life. One of the most powerful things I read was when she said, during this time, Karen sensed God saying, I had to meet David at the end of the runway. Though you may not understand, that's where it had to be for David and me. Know that I've got him. She was able to find that, that peace, even that joy, knowing that he was in the presence of God. She said this, Karen, I know I've lost a leg, but even in this I'm grateful. I've gained a freedom I've never had before. I was a fearful child and now the fear is gone. I see my fearlessness rubbing off on other people. How do you do it? People say I'm a strong woman, but I'm not. I'm stubborn maybe, but not strong. When you have nothing, you finally have both hands free to hold on to God, is what she said. The author of the book, she, she says that her conversation with this lady, this Karen, it just was so inspiring to see where she was at. She said it reminded her of the Apostle Paul when he wrote the words of the church suffering persecution in Thessalonica. Paul writes in Thessalonians, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica who are in the midst of persecution, Rejoice always, make a choice to rejoice. Even in the midst of your heartache, even in the midst of your trials, even in the midst of the problems of life, make a choice to find the joy, to rejoice in that situation. That's what the author says she saw that day in Karen. Listen to what she said in describing that interaction. She said, in the past, I've met people who masquerade as sanguine, which is optimistic, upbeat, but just below the surface, they lived in unspeakable pain. Karen was the opposite. Though the chronic pain was palpable, just below the surface, she radiated joy. Karen 
Simon taught me that when we live life awake to the wonder of God around us, we find reason to give thanks, even in the wake of wreckage, and discover that God is at the end of the runway. And as I said earlier, joy comes from the word rejoice. And we have that choice to rejoice every day. It's ours. It's our choice, whatever we're facing, whether it's the busyness of Christmas or one of the most incredibly difficult times of our lives, we have the choice to rejoice. And I know there are some here this morning maybe maybe struggling or dealing with grief or dealing with heartache or dealing with problems, and, and I, I have no idea what that's like. But I do know, listening to Paul, listening to the story of this lady Karen, that we can make that choice in the midst of it. You know, I can honestly say that one of the hardest things for Casey and I since being pastors here at Connect, if you're new here, Connect is uh, just a little over two years old. We launched in September of 2013. And um, I would say in the last two years, definitely one of the hardest things we've had to go through has been when we walk alongside a family in the church who are going through a, a, a difficult time. One year ago, in fact, it's this week, will be, um, will be the anniversary of a family who we walked alongside a year ago who... Uh, she discovered during her pregnancy that there was a, a problem with the baby. And when the baby was born, she only survived a few hours and then passed away. And we were with that family walking through the, the memorial service and the grief and the heartache. She had two beautiful boys and uh, this daughter came along and, and her life disappeared way too soon. And then earlier on this year, a similar situation. Another family in that church, wonderful family, with two beautiful girls, pregnant with their third, just suddenly, just shortly before the baby was due, the baby passed away. And again, we had to stand alongside that family and pray with them and support them. But the amazing thing is that just this week, that family, the mum, she wrote me an email. She knew I was talking about... Um, a wonder, and this was just something that stirred inside of her. And she sent me this email. She had no idea what I was speaking on this morning. If I asked, I said, could I share your thoughts? I was speaking on joy this weekend, and she said I could. She'd read a blog from another mum who was struggling to get pregnant. And she was dealing this mum with the sadness that that brought her to not be able to conceive. And in this blog that she wrote, she said that the friends the writer of the blog had received a, an email or a note from a friend and this is what the friend said this was a friend who was a mum of children of her own she had no idea what it would be like to struggle to get pregnant because she had had children but she wrote this note to this lady writing the blog she said I've never known that pain but I can tell you that every single person I know that has through struggling to get pregnant adoption, losing or almost losing a child they have a beautiful appreciation for the blessing that their children really are. This friend of the blog writer said, I want that. I've even prayed for it, but unfortunately, it's just not a gift you can receive without the heartache that brings it. This lady from our church, wonderful family, who had such a difficult year, she said in her email, she said, after losing our precious faith, and having some time to heal, I can now say that I truly understand and appreciate the blessing that children really are. What an amazing God we have. We've suffered tragedy this year, but through that experience, God has opened my eyes 
And I am in constant amazement and wonder of the two beautiful, healthy, living daughters that we have. What a blessing in our lives. And for that, I am grateful. Such an inspiration to read that email and to see the way God is at work in this family. Not in the area of happiness, because happiness comes and goes, but in the area of joy. Being able to rejoice, being able to see God in the midst of those trials, being able to find God, even being able to find something, um, some, some good to come out of that, to rejoice and say, God, this has helped give me an appreciation for my children that I never would have had before. But what inspired me most about knowing that I was speaking about this this morning is that here is a family who made that choice to rejoice. Because to truly discover the joy that God has given us, I think it requires us to make that choice. You know, the lady who wrote that book, Wonderstruck, she says this. She said, Paul never suggests that believers deny the grief or pain that adversity brings, but rather that they recognize, even in the midst of hardship, God's Spirit infusing them with joy. Such mirth can't be self-produced. It is a gift of God, an evidence of the Spirit. This unexplainable joy is one of the hallmarks of those who follow Christ, setting them apart from many religions, both ancient and modern. I want you to awaken to the wonder of that joy this week. I want you to awaken to the wonder of God who's got this gift of joy that he wants to give you. And for some, it may be making a choice to rejoice despite the circumstance that you find yourself in. And maybe you're here this morning and you aren't a follower of Jesus. This is all new to you. I want to tell you as somebody who's, who's followed Jesus for um, many, many years now. There have been ups and downs, but I know that joy to be true. I know that joy to be something that will carry you through those difficult times. And maybe right now you're in the midst of a trial and, and you hear a story like that that this mum sent me the email. You think, how could someone be able to say something like that because of the relationship they have with Jesus? Because of how they've been able to lean on that relationship with him. And the midst of grief, the midst of difficulty, the midst of heartache finds joy through making that choice to rejoice. Or maybe it's the first enemy this morning. Maybe you, you remember a time where you had more joy in your life, but as you've kind of maybe turned away from God. Maybe there are some things happening in your life right now that are, are pulling you away from God, and you're seeing the joy diminish as you move away. Maybe it's a fear or um, pain or suffering, whatever it may be, but you see that it's kind of pulling you away from God. I want to challenge you on that proximity to God. Maybe it's time to, to move back towards your Heavenly Father. The ones that fruit, that spirit, that, that gift, these gifts of joy to grow in your life. So let's pray together, shall we? <laughs> Father, we come to you, Lord, as the, the giver of joy. God, it's so difficult because even at Christmas time, we see this word scattered around so many places that it tends to kind of bring that idea of happiness. And we think, well, you know what? I'm not happy right now. There's some stress in my life. There's some problems in my life. I'm not happy. But Lord, when you talk about joy, you're not talking about an external thing that comes and goes. You're talking about an internal um, gift, an idea of joy that you want to give every one of us. 
a contentment, Lord, just a knowledge that you, you are in control, that we can awaken to the wonder of who you are. God, I pray that this Christmas time, joy won't just be a word, it'll be something that we can experience in you. We can understand the true measure of joy in our lives. Help us find the joy that only you can bring. In Jesus' name.